Well, good morning, Vineyard Peoria, here with us, and those who are connected with us online. We're so glad that you're here with us today. And as Matt said, we're continuing the series, Worship, where we're looking at our highest priority. And I don't want that to be a mistake. It is our highest priority. This week, we're going to take a look at why we worship. Now, if you're new to the Vineyard Church experience, you may be equally curious as to what is worship. Or even, if you're from another church experience, what is this way of worshiping that we do in the vineyard? Why do we do it the way we do it? So today I'm going to take a look at this point of why we worship. And it's something definitely that is unique to us as a movement and a church because we believe it is a core component of who we are. It's part of our DNA. Not just this local church here in Peoria, but the whole vineyard movement is focused on worship. In fact, I myself am a worship leader first and church leader second, meaning that I focused more when I was younger on my quiet time with the Lord. My ministry is based upon worship and knowing who God is, and out of that heart is how I'm able to minister. So this topic is very dear to me because out of it, we are able to find who we are and how we connect to God. In fact, in our church plant in Zacatecas, one of our core values is, in fact, authentic worship, meaning we value intimate time with God, worshiping King Jesus and expressing our connection through the Holy Spirit in real tangible ways that connect every part of who we are to every part of who God is. So my hope is to clear up any confusion surrounding why we worship, and hopefully this invites you to come back next week as we look into how we worship, because that's also very unique here in the Vineyard. But for now, let's go ahead and pray and invite the Holy Spirit, who's already here, to have his way with us. Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you come into our lives, into our minds, into our hearts, Lord, and do what only you can do? Father, as we connect with you in worship and in song, that's just the glimpse of what's yet to come. We thank you, Jesus, for what you came to do for us, and we worship and magnify your holy name, the name above all names that is always worthy of our deepest praise. Come and fill my words and the meditation of my heart to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We love because he first loved us. First John four nineteen. Now you may be wondering, what does this verse exactly have to do with worship? The word worship isn't in there. The word praise isn't in there. But you see, this verse is key as to why we worship. Our heart posture towards God is only because he loved us first. We can only come to him because he has revealed himself to us. So if you think about it, someone who doesn't know God can't exactly worship him because they haven't been engaged in that relationship with him. Because it is our love that we receive from God that we are giving back to him. I want to read an excerpt 
um, from the article, What is Worship? It's a vineyard resource. And uh, if you would like a copy of it, uh, I suggest you talk to Matt or someone else on staff. Y también está en español. Entonces, si está interesado en, en nuestro estilo de alabanza, cómo lo hacemos, qué significa, uh, está traducido y sí está en español también. Uh, a nosotros que hablamos español, nos parece mejor para entender y escuchar de nuestro idioma de corazón, ¿verdad? Amén. Amén, eso. But let me go ahead and read what this says, and I'll read it in English for, for those of you here. Uh, rather than trying to gain God's approval by fulfilling religious obligations and doing the right things in worship, we can rest in knowing that God loves us before we even do one thing. Worship creates an environment where we can let go of our striving and fall into the loving arms of the Father. Isn't that so refreshing? I don't know about you, but I definitely don't want more pressure in my life. Okay? Uh, I already have pressure from my wife, Anna. She's a lovely lady, but she's very task-oriented. I'm a manana person. Uh, if you know what that means, it means tomorrow. Uh, when can the trash be taken out? Tomorrow. No, it gets picked up tomorrow. I'll get it in the morning. Uh, do the dishes, so on and so forth, right? Uh, I actually had a lot of pressure that I'm thankful I'm no longer under uh, when I was working in our kids' after-school program. Uh, that was exhausting, uh, taking care of some third and fourth graders, teaching street kids how to play basketball. I tell you what, that was a lot of pressure, especially when the teacher was expecting it to be more class and not babysitting where I just let them run around and throw a ball at each other. I don't care what they do. Uh, just don't die. And there was an expectation that she wanted them to learn basketball. And I was like, my expectations are low. But nonetheless, there was a lot of pressure. Uh, I, as an athlete, I'm a runner, have a lot of pressure on myself. Am I running enough? Am I working out enough? Am I eating enough? Eating the right foods? Am I getting enough sleep? You hear a word that comes over and over again? Enough, enough, enough. You start to ask yourself, is this enough? And what am I doing enough? You know, we live in a high-pressure society because we have this expectation that we're high-performance individuals. In fact, we go and watch sporting events of high-performance athletes. The best of the best are the ones that can perform. Myself, when I was a kid, and as you can guess, as a distance runner, what's our main event that we love to do? The Olympics. And what is the Olympics? It's the high-performance athletes, the best of the best of all the world, competing head-to-head against each other for the fight for what? A medal. So as you can see, we have high performance. We try and hack our life. You know, if you read those blogs about life hackers that are trying to make it easier so you can get more done in your day. But the funny thing is, God could care less. He isn't interested in any of that. He's just excited about being with us and us taking time to be with him. I was talking to Bob yesterday, and he said, you know what's so funny is when we're quiet and we let God talk, he's a blabbermouth. He just won't stop. 
And I have to agree. And I'll tell you why. So a couple Thursdays ago, I went on a run. I was finally able to get back out there. And it wasn't too bad. I was going to go and do a quick three miles around the block. Yes, around the block. I live in the middle of corn and soybean fields, so the blocks are that big. So it's kind of nice. I don't have to think about it. I just run a loop and I'm done, right? And I decided that the weather was nice enough and that I didn't need to use music to distract me from the cold, hard wind because it wasn't that windy. But I decided since I'm not going to take my music, I'm going to go on an adventure run with Jesus, something I have not done before. So recently I've been through some sozo training, which is essentially inner healing. Uh, It's how you help people uh, find Jesus through some of their trauma in their past. And they talk about going on an adventure run or an adventure rather with Jesus. So. Uh, some of the uh, adventures that people go on with Jesus in their mind when they're praying um, would be like roller coasters. Apparently, Jesus likes to go on roller coasters. Um, you can go to the beach. You can lay on the beach with Jesus. You can play in the water. He likes to play in the water. He's a, he's a water guy. Um, or you just go on a hike. You know, imagine your favorite uh, mountain scene and go on a hike with Jesus um, and experience that. But for me, since I'm a runner... Um, I like to actually be running and have Jesus with me. So if I'm suffering, he's suffering with me, right? And recently I've been using a meditation app um, that I highly recommend that helps me take time to uh, just unload all the distractions in my life and actually quiet myself because my mind tends to go all over the place. But it's something definitely nice to do. And one of the things that they like to use And as a runner, it's something we use as athletes. It's called visualization. Uh, Athletes use it to help themselves visualize uh, finishing their race, uh, making that shot, be it kicking the soccer ball into the goal or uh, shooting a basket and nailing that three-pointer with little seconds drifting away. Um, That visualization helps you prepare you for what's ahead. So I decided, well, if the world can do it, I'm going to take it and use it for Jesus. So I'm going to go on a fun run with Jesus. Now, it was actually quite a fun exercise to do. I, however, was still in cold weather gear, and I was like, hey, Jesus, what gives, man? Like, this isn't fair. I'm over here bundled up. I hate running in a bunch of clothes. I don't like it. It's restricting. You are running like this, falling over. And Jesus was over there in summer attire, and I was like, hey, Jesus, come on, man. And I was like, well, I guess you don't get too cold, and I guess you don't really get too hot, do you? And I suffer in the heat, so that's why I don't like running in that much clothing. So he said, well, is this better? And so he actually was wearing an outfit like I was. And I said, thanks. I appreciate that. seems only fair for me uh, that you would run like I'm running and suffering like I am. But I actually decided while I was in the middle of this run with his long, curly hair, said, hey, Jesus, what do you want to say to this church about worship? I mean, I got some good words. I've preached on this similar series a bunch of times in Mexico. This I don't have that much new that I can say, but you do. Because you wrote the book on this. This is your design. And so as we were talking He gave me three words 
And just so happened they had three E's for each word. And I find that kind of funny. So let's take a look at these three words. It's edify, encourage, and empower. Worship is edify, encourage, and empower. To edify simply means to instruct in a way that improves, enlightens, or uplifts morally, spiritually, or intellectually. We worship to edify the church and ourselves about who God is and who we are in him. We discover who we are as God reveals himself to us in worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul talks at length about how our worship services are to edify and strengthen the body of believers and the body of Christ, saying, yes, it is good to speak in tongues, but if no one knows what is being said, it doesn't exactly edify the church. But I love what it says in verses 16 and 17, and then later in 26. So let's go ahead and take a look at 1 Corinthians. All right, I lied. So we're going to go 1 Corinthians 14, verses 15. I want to add a little extra verse in there. We're looking at this in the Passion Translation, okay? And it says, here's, so here's what I've concluded. Important. I will pray in the Spirit, but I will also pray with my mind engaged. I will sing rapturous praises in the Spirit, but I will also sing with my mind engaged. This is very important parts. It's not just a spiritual concept. It is all of who we are and all of who God is in us intertwining that. I don't know if you felt that this morning. That's what I felt. That's why I couldn't control the tears. They're just like flowing because I was engaged in the Spirit and also in my mind and body were all connected with him. So verse 16 says, otherwise, if you are praising God in your spirit, how could someone without the gift participate by adding his amen to your giving of thanks? Since he doesn't have a clue of what you're saying. It would be kind of annoying, wouldn't it? Now, let's just take a second here. For those of you who speak Spanish, she's habla español. You know what it's like to be in a church service and not know what's being said because it's all in English. And you know what it's like to feel like you're not connecting. Do I say amen to that? What if they said I'm buying lunch? <laughs> I don't know. And maybe I am. See what I mean? How are you going to say amen to something that you can't agree to if you don't know what's being said? Let's go to 17. It says, your praise to God is admirable, but it does nothing to strengthen and build up others. Beloved friends, verse 26 what does all this imply? Or as I like to say, what does this really mean? When you conduct your meetings, you should always let everything be done to build up the church family. Whether you're sharing a song of praise, a teaching, a divine revelation, or a tongue and in its interpretation, let each one contribute what strengthens others. Worship is to edify. Now let's look at encourage. Time in worship helps us to be encouraged to continue following the call God has placed on us. We need to be encouraged from time to time, and worship does that. From week one of this series, we said worship continues the process of seeking God. When we seek, we find him, and finding him is encouraging, transformative, and in basic terminology, everything. 
that is all and in all. We find encouragement in worship for what he's done and will do for his children. That's us. Okay? We're going to take a, a look at Exodus 15, chapter 2. And actually, I wanted to, I skipped a part in my head that I had said I was going to say. Some people have difficulty believing that they can hear God and he would have a conversation. But I also want to make a clear note that God reveals Scripture. Okay? I had these three words. Now, it was my due diligence in sitting with Jesus to say, help me find this in Scripture. Okay? I find that Scripture will be exactly what he tells us. So look here in Exodus 15, verse 2 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. So we have strength and victory in worshiping the Lord. Now, it's important to know that this is right after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. And if you remember, that was a pretty miraculous thing that took place, yes? So to say that he is my strength and my song, it means my strong is in worshiping him. My, I find strength in the Lord as I praise his name. Despite the circumstances, despite the situation, I will sing to him a new song. This is my God. I will praise him. I will exalt him. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When we worship, we're able to spend time knowing who we are and receiving His Spirit in our lives, which helps us be empowered. The greatest weapon in spiritual warfare is prayer and worship. It's prayer and worship. You want to see God move in your life or in the lives of those around you? Worship. Plain and simple. Prayer and worship. And I know that I've heard recently another key thing that we like to not do is fasting. It requires self-discipline, self-control, something that we in our culture today don't really like to do, myself included. I like to eat. As a runner, I need to eat. It's part of my fuel plan. But we need to be self-disciplined in seeking God and expecting to see his face. Worship enables us to receive the grace we need to do and say what the Father is doing and destroy the works of the devil. Worship also prepares our hearts for Jesus' return that is coming soon. In Acts chapter 2, we see what happens when we spend time praying and worshiping. I think this is a very interesting one. I actually had to wait. I was like, all right, Lord, I've got the other ones, but I'm really looking for something deep here. And all of a sudden, he reminded me of what happens when we spend time in prayer and worship and we are empowered by him. Okay? Now, some of you are going to remember that the last instructions that Jesus gave the disciples before they start their ministry and continue the works of Jesus, he says what? Stay in Jerusalem. All right. So let's take a look at that passage. It's a long one, but I think it's a good one. And I think it's really going to be something that's very important for a lot of us today. Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 53. 
He supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the scriptures. And said to them, everything that has happened fulfills what the scriptures prophesied of me. The Messiah was destined to suffer and raise from the dead on the third day. Now you must go into all the nations and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins so that they will turn to me. Start right here in Jerusalem. For you are my witnesses and have seen for yourselves all that has transpired. I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. So stay here in the city until you are clothed with the mighty power of heaven. Okay? So, Holy Spirit breathes into our lives and reveals Jesus. Okay? So when you're hearing from Jesus, you can be sure that you're hearing from him because it will be breathed scripture into our lives. Okay? I want to be clear, too, that if it's something good from Jesus, it's pretty good. Okay? We have a Father of Lights who every good thing comes from him. Okay? He's not telling you how bad you are. That's generally the enemy. All right? That's another sermon for another day. But I want to quickly throw that in there for any of you who have doubts. Well, Jesus said this. I don't know. Don't think so. Okay? Um, but he fulfilled the scriptures of what was promised to him. Then the Messiah was going to suffer and die. And then we go into all nations. Okay? Now, my wife and I are missionaries. So we have pretty good experience doing that for the past 10 years, going into a different nation, speaking and, and preaching to them about repentance and forgiveness of sins so they turn to Jesus and know who he is. But this part right here is, como se, se dice en español, clave. This is the main point, okay? It's what the disciples did. After they were told this. Okay. So Jesus led his disciples out to Bethany. He lifted his hands over them and blessed them in his love. While he was still speaking words of love and blessing, he floated off the ground into the sky, ascending into heaven before their very eyes. 52. And all they could do was worship him. Nothing else. All they could do was worship him. Overwhelmed and and ecstatic with joy, they made their way back to Jerusalem. Every day they went to the temple to praise and worship God. So, so we're familiar with the Great Commission, right? But what does Jesus tell them to do before they go do that? Worship me. Go back to Jerusalem. And their heart posture was something quite intriguing. They couldn't actually do anything except for respond of, wow, glory to God. This is amazing. And they were overwhelmed and ecstatic with joy. Every day they went to the temple to praise and worship God. Now, let's go ahead and jump to Acts chapter 1 to the continuation of this because it's also important to know. So Acts chapter 1. Verses 4 through 8, also in the Passion Translation, says, Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about. That gift is the Holy, Holy Spirit, for those of you who don't know. The gift the Father has promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
For every time they were gathered together, they asked Jesus. I love this. Right here. Right here. This is for us today. Okay? If you've said, Stephen, you're crazy. How are you able to go on a run and hear from Jesus? It's because I'm reading it right here in the text. And I believe it. Do you believe it? Let's go for it. All right? Every time they gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it now the time for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And what happened? He answered. I love that. He'd already ascended, and he answers. The Father is the one who set the fixed dates and the times of their fulfillment. You are not permitted to know the timing of all that he prepared by his own authority. But I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be seized with power. You will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even the remotest, remotest, gracias, places on earth. You are not permitted to know the timing of all that he has prepared by his own authority, but I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come to you and you will be seized with power. Worship empowers us. Worship empowers us. You see, many times we like to overcomplicate things. We like to say, eh, worship is all right. Maybe Dave's voice was a little off, or I'm just teasing with you, bro. Maybe Stephen broke his strap. You know, maybe. Uh, he's playing weird. He's got a hat on. I don't know. This guy looks weird. Whatever you think. It is. It could be, well, I'm not in the right mood. I had a fight with my wife this morning. Uh, You know, I I, I ate something weird. My stomach's upset. Whatever it is that you think you need to be right for God to move, it's important to know he's already moving. He just wants us to connect with him and see his heart, and he'll tell us what to do. The only way to know your Next steps is by knowing who you are in him and connecting to the father. I'm really good at making things up. Okay. I'm really good at, I kind of learned this really quick in college. All this is, is I'm paying, paying with pieces of paper for a piece of paper that says I know how to play with paper. So you want my paper that I don't have very much of. So I can get more paper by playing with paper. I mean, this is a joke, right? And that whole fake it till you make it kind of deal. Like, I'm sorry, that really does not compute in my rules formula, okay? But there is one thing that I have seen in my lifetime, and you can say, well, you haven't lived very many years. That is true, 38 years. But my 38 years, the one thing I've seen over and over and over again, and I've tested him on it over and over and over again, if I deposit into the kingdom, into worship, and spending time in his presence, I am never ashamed of that sacrifice. I'm never ashamed. I have never once spent time in the presence of God and thought, man, that wasn't worth it. Never. Because I know that it is greater than me. I am looking for something greater than me. The answers to all my questions in life are something that's greater than me. When I was in college, I really questioned whether this whole God thing was real or not. I think it's such a good thing to do. 
because I had to make my faith my own. And in doing that, I realized I have no answer when I ask, was that real or not? It had to be. It had to be. His manifest power presenting in my life or in the lives of my family is by no mistake and by no accident that I am standing before you today. It's not possible. It's not. It's because of generation and generation of people worshiping the king of kings. I could go on a side note, and I think I will for a second. I question, is this Jesus thing real? And the one person that was really solid in my life was my Oma. Now, if you don't know what Oma means, that's grandmother in Dutch and in German. But especially in Dutch. And half of my blood's from the Netherlands. That's why I look like I do tall, blonde hair, blue eyes. If you haven't seen my daughter, you'll get it if you see it. How my grandparents survived war-torn Netherlands in the middle of World War II. And hearing their story and saying, I'm here only by the grace of God. And hearing and seeing her worship. And this is, this is a woman that spoke six languages. Super intelligent, valued Valued intelligence over sports. They thought it was weird that I liked to run. They supported me. Then they found out how much of a, a self-disciplined thing it was, and I think they liked it. But the reality was, I came to this point where she is very smart, and I believe her because she's very smart, and she's tested this thing over and over again. And I don't have any other way to deny why I'm here. Because time and time again, I shouldn't be. Time and time again, it wouldn't work. But God interjected. And how many of us have those stories? How many of us have those stories where you're like, I shouldn't be standing here today. I have a doctor's diagnosis that says otherwise, but I'm still going to praise the Lord. I have something going, you know, I got in a car wreck and I walked away unscratched. I'm going to praise the Lord. Whatever it is. As David says, I will continue to praise the Lord. So let's take a look at Psalms 96, 1 through 3, which is a great verse that says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. If you haven't gotten it yet, a lot of these verses also declare nations, plural. And I didn't, I didn't plan this because I'm the missionary. Okay, I hope you understand that. That wasn't part of my deal. This wasn't my shtick. just happened to be in there. Because God's heart for the nations is huge, people. And the only way to reach the nations is through his worship, is worshiping him. Next week, we're going to take a look at how we worship. But I think it's important to mention that as we worship, we have a response that fills up inside us. We respond to what we feel or know of the goodness of God. We raise our hands, bow our knees, cry, laugh, shout praise to the King of Kings. Why? Because we're sharing our gratitude and love back to God, just as he first did towards us. 
And like we said in week one of this series, worship begins with encounter. So let's take some time to encounter God as we close this service with some worship and ministry.